Buckethead's Land Grant Holy Lands College Basketball Podcast. My name is Connor Lamont, and I'm here with my co-host Justin Goble for episode 65 of our College Hoops Podcast. And since we last met, Ohio State has played two more games. They lost to Wisconsin at home by five points, and then they went on the road and they lost to Michigan in Ann Arbor to drop their conference record to three and nine on the season. Good for 13th place in the Big Ten. You know what they say about 13th place, Connor. No, I'm just kidding. Um, rivalry week was tough for me, Connor. Um, Ohio State lost to Michigan. Kent State lost to Akron, which hurt, honestly, a little bit even more because I really do hate Akron. Um, their fans do stuff on the court again. I would like to put that Respectfully, out. I had money on Akron in that game. Great. Good for you. <laughs> anyway, uh, the fans threw stuff on the court again. That always happens. And... Um, Unfortunately, no extracurriculars happened. Uh, normally with Kent State and Akron, something very interesting or fun happens, but just a normal game basketball, Kent State lost. Um, so it was a tough weekend for me, all in all. And what does Kent State have this week? BG? They have BG at home, right? Yeah, they beat the hell. Yeah, we're recording this Tuesday night. They'll beat the hell out of BG tonight. Well, actually, no, they haven't beat the hell out of anybody. They'll beat them by like nine. Um, and then they play somebody on Friday night. It, I think I've Mark your calendars, folks. March fourth, Akron at Kent State. That is the rematch. I, I'm slowly paying more attention to Mac basketball. If you don't watch uh, Mac basketball, folks, you got to get into it. Mac, ba- you got like, you got Kent State and Akron. You got Toledo. You got Amani Bates, but his team is six and eighteen. He's just dropping it? fifty a night. They're scoring sixty a night. <laughs> you gotta love it. I know that, okay, we're recording on Tuesday, so by the time this comes out, people already heard it, but isn't Akron-Toledo tonight, too? Akron-Toledo is tonight, yes, at Akron. Like, every, like, every time I watch one of the higher-level MAC teams, basically Akron, Kent State, Toledo, and I'm like, oh, man, these guys are fun. Then it makes me more likely to watch basically any of those three teams play anybody else. Like, now I'm willing if I see, like, Akron against OU or, like, Kent State versus Miami. Now I'm like, ooh, maybe I'll actually turn that on which was not me like yeah. a month ago, being honest, but now it is. Ball State's a fun team too. There's a lot of fun, a lot of fun guys in the MAC. It's a, it's a fun conference because it's just, it's like your purest of hoopers. You know what I mean? A lot of times they're undersized guys. I mean, Marcus Keene is like a great example of just MAC basketball. He's little, you know, but he just scores 35 a game. He's just a, he's just a bucket. A lot of buckets in the MAC, was, and that's what's fun to watch. Ryan, was Ryan Rollins a first round pick from Toledo, or is he second round? I believe he was a second round pick. Still, or is he still, still there? That's still it's one of the top sixty. You know, to get to get taken in the draft out of Toledo, I think they have that was last year, right? Was that two uh, seasons ago? Something like that. Rollins was there recently. Toledo, for some reason, all their teams blend together. In, in my head, like JD Witherspoon is still there. He's been gone for like six years, so. Uh, all their teams bleed together for some reason for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's true. JD, JD Witherspoon was actually there when I was in college. So I'm just aging myself a little bit here. But All right. Where were we at before, before Mac? Honestly, we could, it doesn't matter anymore. We can talk about the Mac as much as we want moving forward at this point. What, my only point is if you haven't been watching the Mac, watch the Mac. It's also, I thought Kent State might run away with the conference. As we learned on Friday night, it's a little more wide open than we might like it to be. So it's some fun basketball. It's just, it's just like I said, it's just pure hoop, you know? 
It's just hoopers. Hoopers hooping. Gotta love it. You're gonna you're gonna be there on March fourth to catch that game? I might actually. I got some friends that are going, so I might actually try to cop a ticket and go down there. It's a Friday Ohio night, State, so as well. Ohio State is also at Michigan State that Saturday, but uh that's I have to guess that Michigan State senior day on a Saturday has gotta be a noon game. So you can probably catch both. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean I only live thirty minutes from Kent State, so maybe pop over there for a game or two. I haven't been I haven't been to a Kent State basketball game in person since I worked there, so gotta get back. There's ever time. Yeah, you talk about them a lot. That's fraudulent behavior. You have to get over there. I've never been to an Ohio State basketball game. <laughs> That's Oh my god. Thank, thank God. Thank God that I've missed thank God that I can count on both of my hands how many Ohio State basketball games I've missed since like 2015. I can yeah, make up. I mean, I never miss them on TV, but I've never been. I can make I mean, up for your fraudulent grew up in Maryland. I've never, I've never lived in Columbus. So that's my, you know, I've lived in Maryland, Nebraska, and Cleveland. So it doesn't make for the most uh, uh, engaging. Uh, I've only been to four or five football games. Well, now that we've had Scotty Middleton on the show, you will have to next season for one of the noon or one o'clock games, you'll have no choice. You're going to have to make the drive down for like an afternoon game to see Scotty and then drive back up. Now that, pause, have, Middleton. now that we have some skin in the game, anyway, who's been balling by the way on the on the high school in the high school circuit? Scotty Middleton's on fire. So love Scotty. Scotty, shout to Scotty. Yes, he last is. week Scottie. Ohio State lost to they, so they lost. Which team did they lose to most recently? They lost to Wisconsin two games ago. <laughs> we're not gonna we're not gonna fully recap that whole thing. Basically, your Cliff Notes version is they fell behind by a ton of points. They kind of caught up. And then right before halftime, they had cut it to, it was a 10-point deficit. It had been a lot more than that. And Ohio State had the ball. They're holding for last shot. Justice Suing is backing down Tyler Wall in the post. And as Wisconsin loves to do, um, he took this mantle from Brad Davison, I think. Tyler Wall falls down as Justice Suing begins to like back his butt into him. I mean, the contact either hadn't come yet or it was about to come, and Wall hits the deck. And Justice goes up for a layup, and they wave it off. They say, charge, go the other way. And Chris Holtman, I've never seen him lose his marble so fast. He is, like, sprinting at a ref, screaming, because he's like, are you fucking kidding me? That's a flop. I thought we were calling flops. And they're like, boom, technical. And not even kidding, not even five seconds later, a second ref ran over, boom, second technical, get out. And he's like, okay, I'm leaving. So he walks off the court, goes back to the locker room. Uh, instead of it being potentially a seven-point game, maybe, if just they're down 10, if Justice hits the bucket and they call a block and he hits the free throw, it's a seven-point game going into half. There is no bucket. Uh, Connor Asesian hits all four free throws for Wisconsin to make it 14 points. And then Wisconsin gets the final possession of the half from the technicals. Chucky Hepburn hits a fadeaway jumper to make it a 16-point game. Uh, Ohio State made a run in the second half, but they never tied it back up. That's all she wrote. This game, this game was done by halftime, and that is what happened to basically put the game away. Yeah, uh, that was. I mean, it was just egregious that call. I know. Look, I'm not going to sit here and act like a call in the first half decided the game, but it was obviously a very, a very. Uh, I mean, it's a huge change of momentum there. And um, I couldn't say that I disagreed with. I think I think you know I think it's safe to say that Holtman wasn't just mad at that call. You know that was a lot of 
probably pent up frustration that just all kind of came out at once. Um, you know, I don't necessarily blame him. I think, and he said it, I think, you know, you do kind of have to try to keep your cool there because like you said, you know, if you get thrown out of a game, it's four free throws and the ball when you're already down eight or 10, you know, you can't really afford that, but um, it did feel like there was a lot of just pent up anger and aggression there that, you know, kind of oh, frustration, I guess is a better way to word it. That kind of came out at that moment. Ohio state's been on the short end of a lot of tough calls, fouls that are called fouls in crucial spots that maybe should be play ons, um, things like that. And as the season has gone on, I've kind of felt like, I guess several lot. It's we're, we're several losses too late at this point, but I've kind of felt like maybe at the Minnesota game where it was it peaked where I, I thought, okay, they've been kind of screwed on several key calls this season. And this all has to shake out to be even eventually, right? They're going to be on the benefit. They're, they're going to benefit from some of these calls down the road. That's going to help them maybe win a few games. And that's even considering that they literally benefited from a terrible missed call to win the game against Rutgers. I mean, like, there's yeah, I was about to say Rutgers fans Ken banging Palm, the table right now, but <laughs> Ken Palm literally, even including the Rutgers game that Ohio State should have lost, they should be two and two and ten in conference play right now. Technically, Ohio State, as of like a week ago, I can look it up to see if it's still true. They were dead last in luck, according to Ken Palm, like the unluckiest team in <laughs> Division One college basketball. And I'm just I'm waiting for like Ohio State to benefit from some of these fifty fifty calls, and it's like. It's just not happening. I thought at some no. point the water would find its level, and they just continue to just – they're just not on the winning end of a lot of these – no, they are still – it's been two weeks since I checked that. They are still the 363rd luckiest team out of 363. Yeah, that's – um, I love that stat because that was the one last year the Providence fans were just so mad about because Ken Palm like, ranked them the luckiest team. They're like, no, we're talented. He's like, well, it's not – they're not saying you're not, but – Apparently you're pretty lucky too. High state's unlucky, it, which I think I don't know what exactly that metric goes into, but I'm sure it has to do with the fact that like they've lost what is it nine games now by single digits, two in overtime. You know, I'm sure close losses have to do with that. Because you think uh, like at some point, like the ball would just bounce your way at some point, right? The Purdue game, that pass isn't intercepted. The Minnesota game, they don't call the block. You know. Or they'd call it a block and not a not a foul. Things like that. You think one of those would kind of trip your way in. They just haven't. Outside of the Rutgers game, of course. The luckiest three teams in Division One basketball this year, um, Power Five, are Kansas, Alabama, and Missouri. Yeah. Um, which, I don't know. That's, that's sure. interesting. Because I think that – I'm trying to find I, – I looked up what luck is in the algorithm – I'm trying to find it. I believe it has to do with um, – it has a lot to do with home road splits. Um, hold on. Here we go. Essentially, it is the deviation between your actual win-loss record and what is expected. what it is expected to be based on offensive and defensive efficiency as well as the expected home court advantages and disadvantages. So basically, do they expect you to get – Is that saying the shot better? Do they expect you to get better, more favorable calls at home and probably have tougher calls go against you on the road? Um, do they expect you to win games on the road where teams, you know, basically, are you following the trends of home road splits and 
Pullman Road Records at away venues, as well as are you playing more at venues where teams play well? So, for example, which teams get Rutgers? Which teams don't have to play at the rack this year in the Big Ten? And then which teams either have to do home and away with Rutgers or are just playing at the rack? So how lucky did you get with your draw on the schedule as well as your offensive defensive efficiency, which Ohio state is still like top 30 in the country in Ken Palm, even though they're not even a 500 team anymore. Yeah. It's so funny to watch Ohio state continue to lose and Ken Palm continue to like, just not care. <laughs> that's literally Ken Palm is saying they're ahead of like six still, teams. They've lost to. They're, they're still saying, yeah, you're, you're, you're still playing relatively efficiently offense. You're still scoring more often than not when you have the ball. And even though the defense is not great, it hasn't. The defense has not like fallen off during the losing streak. Yeah, so it's basically it's Ken it. Palm saying Ken Palm is saying neither your offense nor your defense have especially fallen off during this losing streak, but you have lost nine of ten. So therefore, I'm going to go ahead and assume that you're you're hitting a bit of bad luck here and there. <laughs> There's about a 95 percent chance Ohio State misses the tournament. And according to Ken Palm, they're like a six seed right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, whatever whatever yeah Holt, i mean holtman said we spoke to chris holtman earlier this week and he did say like i thought that i lost my cool i deserved a technical but typically he said a referee after you get a technical they're usually going to give you a warning of some kind um they're going to say coach i've had enough hey that's enough all right i understand that's enough and basically tell you like if you keep going we're going to throw you out and basically it sounds like this one was t1 t2 like there was no okay go back to your bench it was like boom boom you just you're done they didn't even show the first t on tv it happened so fast they only when they flipped over to him freaking out he had already been ejected so that's how quick the hook was i thought it was an incredibly fast hook i've never seen outside of like the egregious stuff where guys like do something immediately to be ejected and they just T1, T2 and throw them out. I've never seen a hook that quick. Yeah. And I mean, you gotta, you gotta be, he's gotta be better in that spot when you're trying to cut it to a, a single ditch deficit. You can't put yourself in a spot because I mean, that buried them. That giant, that's a, they, Wisconsin scored six well, like points. You said, they came back. Like they, they, they did. A seven point, or even if it's, let's say it's 10 at the half, that's doable. 16, eh, not so much. Wisconsin scored six points on that final possession that could have been a three-point possession for Ohio State if it was called a block. Or if it's just a no-call. If it's a no-call, then it's a two-point possession. But that is an eight- or nine-point swing in a matter of 28 seconds. Yeah, and and going into the half. So Ohio State didn't have time to, like, get their momentum back or maybe cut into it. Like it wasn't like two or three minutes left. It was literally 28 seconds left. And then Wisconsin held for the final shot and Hepburn knocked down a pretty, pretty nice fadeaway. So, you know, that happened against Wisconsin. That was a game that we, we kind of said of this upcoming four, I think we agreed that of the upcoming four games, if you backtrack to a week ago, Wisconsin, Michigan, Northwestern, Michigan state, Wisconsin looked like, maybe the most winnable of those four. And we agreed that they needed to win three of four to probably uh, stay on track to make the tournament. And since then they've, they've lost the first two. So. Well, and now you kind of, of, yeah, sorry. my fault. I'll say as of now, they're, they're cooked. They're done. They're out. If they go on some miraculous run where they win, like their next five in a row, check back with me. Cause then my ears will perk up and be like, okay, let's see what they can do here. 
But as of barring a miraculous run, they are out. They have lost the games that they needed to win, and that's that. Yeah, I think I'm comfortable saying you pretty much have to win the next three, which is at home against Northwestern, home against Michigan State, and then at Iowa. Which, again, I mean, it sounds ridiculous to say, but they're winnable games. Um, then you go to Mackey at Purdue. I don't even consider that to be winnable at this point. I, I don't know. I don't think Ohio State wins at Mackey with a good team. And you know, this isn't that great of a team. So, well, they're just not playing like a great team. So, I, I don't, you know, you've put yourself into a position where you have eight games left. You pretty much have to finish, I mean, at, at worst, at absolute worst, six and two, probably seven to one, and probably win one or two games in the Big Ten tournament. So, the only benefit they might have in the Big Ten tournament is they might play on that first day as an 11 or 12 seed, and they might play in Minnesota or Nebraska, who, and we joke, I know they did lose to Minnesota. I do think they would beat Minnesota if they played again. Um, Minnesota looks even – I mean, Minnesota's had so many injuries. That was like kind of, you know, somebody said in the – they were like, how do we lose to this Minnesota team? And I was like, well, you didn't technically lose to this Minnesota team because Dawson Garcia has been out pretty much since that Ohio State game, and he dropped a 30-burger on us. So he kind of won that game for them. But They have um, multiple guys out with injury, and I think they have multiple guys seven, out Seven also scholarship with- guys out. With yeah, well. with sickness and or injury now. So, like, yeah. the Minnesota team also that beat Ohio yeah, State really. is is even worse now. Yeah. So, I mean, you might get lucky. You play one of those two teams on the first day and you beat them. Um, and then, you know, get lucky and play in a Northwestern or Iowa and maybe you beat them. And I don't know. Anything's possible. I don't think they're – I don't think the season is completely cooked. I know that's crazy to say because they'd have to actually win a game. But um, I, I don't think they, you know. It's – like, Thursday is going to be a very good indicator, or tonight, I guess, because this comes out Thursday mornings. I mean, you you already beat Northwestern by 30 on the road, and you're playing a team that is lost now three in a row, I think Northwestern, and you're at home. You know, like, if there's ever a winnable game, it feels like it's probably that one. So, we'll see. Yeah, I, like I said, if they – they're three and nine right now going into the Northwestern game. If they win their next, I guess if they win their next three, wake me up and then maybe my ears will perk up and I'll That's, start, yeah. I'll start thinking of possibilities in my head because if you get to six and nine, which still sucks, then you're looking at, okay, well, six you still and get nine, Penn State home, you still get Maryland six and at home. nine, is it mathematically possible for you to win four of your last five or something and end up 10 and 10 or nine and 11 or something? I guess maybe, but I wouldn't even start making up those hypothetical scenarios unless they can probably win their no. next three in yeah, a row. If you can pull out three in a row, then you have five left. You pretty much have to go three and two, which feels more likely nine 11. I still do think gets you in um, it, again, barring you win one or two in the big 10 tournament. If you lose your first game in the big 10 tournament, you're, you're, you're probably cooked again. And by get you in, I mean get you into the playing game. So, we'll see. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think nine and eleven probably does get you in, but you have to go six and two to get there. And it's you can't yeah, find a segment of games where Ohio State's won six of eight uh, since probably November. <laughs> so, yeah, even that is almost an impossible task. But again, I'll I'll start entertaining all those possibilities yeah. if they can win their next three and I, whatever. Anyway. After the Wisconsin game, they did go up to Ann Arbor. Um, this is a game that 
Uh, recently, both teams have been winning on each other's court. Last year, Michigan handled Ohio State pretty easily on senior day without Hunter Dickinson, who was in the locker room throwing up for the entire game. Um, ruined Ohio State's senior day, beat them on their home court without Hunter. But a month earlier, Ohio State beat Michigan up in Ann Arbor. So they won on each other's home court. Curious to see if it would happen again. It did not. Um, Michigan wins that one by eight, which it wasn't a blowout. It was a competitive game the entire time. Uh, Michigan did go up by 10 or 11 several times, but for the majority of this game, Ohio State was somewhere between four and like six or seven points was pretty much the gap that was kept between the two teams for most of the game. Um, it was close enough, kind of like the Minnesota game, a lot like the Minnesota game actually, where if they could get two defensive stops, you could tie it up. Or if you get a bucket and force turnover real quick, you could tie it up. But uh, it just, it never happened. They got within three or four a handful of times and it always went back to five or six. Yeah, they didn't look like particularly horrible. You know, they played a decent game. I thought Bryce was hunting a shot a little bit too much just because, you know, I think he's just so used to being the hot hand, uh, but he wasn't in this game. You know, Bruce Thornton and, at times, just assuming was. So I thought he was, I think he finished four for 14. I think he was just hunting a shot a little bit too much. But, um, I, you know, it's just one of those things where Hunter Dickinson just, you, sometimes you run into a guy that can prove he's the best player on the floor, and that's what Hunter did. I mean, th- those three straight buckets on Akpar were just like a very good indicator. Like, look, Akpar is going to be a good player in this league at some point. He's just not there yet. Like, that was a good example of Hunter Dickinson just a little broing him because he's, he, it was, it wasn't even like, was he backing him down? Yes, but it was experience. He was getting to his his spot where he wanted to be, doing that little left over his shoulder jump hook that he loves to do, and Akpar couldn't stop it. So it, he, I, I think he did a better job on him. He's just a little bit smaller, and, he, you know, again, he's very clearly still injured. I don't know. You know, it, it's pretty easy to tell. And then at some point, if, if Akpar and Key aren't working, there's nobody else you can throw at him. You know, you don't have – uh, a seven foot two guy sitting on like Hunter Dickinson. And it's funny because people always say, you know, you got to go get a six eleven seven foot guy to match those guys. Hunter Dickinson's seven two, you know, like he, he's taller than people give him credit. Hunter Dickinson is a very good player. Um, you know, from DeMatha, five-star recruit, like Hunter Dickinson's drunk. Don't grow on trees. And I think that's what people sometimes forget. So I, he just, you know, he proved he's the best player on the floor. He's had a kind of a up and down, the funny part about Hunter Dickinson is like I say he's had an up and down year. He's averaging eighteen and ten, so like that's how good he is. Eighteen and ten feels like he's having somewhat of a down year because it feels and like he should be playing. He probably should be putting up Trey Jackson Davis numbers. And the guys and the guys around him, uh, they made shots. They made it a lot easier. Yeah, you couldn't collapse. You couldn't collapse to, on him. You know, it was tough. I spent I spent the weekend up in Michigan with some friends of mine that are all Michigan grads. And basically what I was told is here's what happens in Michigan's offense. You throw it onto Hunter, Hunter gets doubled. Hunter has to kick it out to one of these young guards and either these guards jack up a three and they miss it or they are, they hesitate. And in the time that it takes to hesitate, the defense will slide back over and guard the jumper. So they don't take the open jumper or they just miss the open jumper. So that's what I was expecting. What actually happened was, Doug McDaniel, who entered the game shooting under 31%, he was like 30.6%, and uh, Kobe Bufkin, who was even lower, he was like a 29% three-point shooter. They both hit multiple threes in this game. 
um, yep. which is the equivalent of like if Ohio State is getting two threes from Justice Suing and two threes from Zed Key in the same game. You really you like your odds if you're getting that. Um, yeah. Michigan What's was Hunter Dickinson in the paint. <laughs> exactly, even better. So Michigan was having guys who don't typically hit from outside. They were hitting from outside, and that was like that was the plan. And that's kind of what Holtman said after the game was early on in Michigan hit some shots that we were okay with them taking. Well, yeah, if you're a 29% three-point shooter, I typically am also okay with him passing out to that shooter instead of letting the big man just shoot over the top of people below the basket. But Michigan was getting it to fall repeatedly. These, these guys just aren't – they haven't been good shooters all year. So Michigan had guys yeah. step up who apparently, you know, according to my friends who have season tickets, have not been good shooters, and the numbers back that up, they were knocking it down, which puts you in a tough spot, kind of like the Indiana game, where it's like, okay, we're getting burnt by these guys on the outside. Do we now actually send somebody to guard, to guard Doug McDaniel and go one-on-one with Hunter? Which is what they did in the second half, is they started guarding that three and went one-on-one with Hunter, and Hunter just tore them up inside. It was pick your poison. Yeah, so exactly. if you watch Mix, if you watch Michigan this week, next game you watch Kobe Bufkin and Doug McDaniel will probably combine to go like one for eight from three or something. Like that's just right, how just like just like Hood Chafino the like game after Ohio State yeah. went one for fifteen. And Jet Howard was hitting some tough shots too. Jet Howard's a stud. Jet Howard was hitting a lot some of NBA NBA shots. Those two threes he some, hit earlier were he wasn't open. He was hitting some step back long twos off of one leg where I was like, okay, you force him into a tough shot. And then he just cashed it. And I was like, he, when he's hitting those tough shots and then you have uh, Buffkin and McDaniel hitting from outside as well, it's like you can no longer afford to throw two guys at Hunter Dickinson. So what do you do? Um, and that's, and that's I, the thing. And I mentioned it to you before we recorded. Like I think Kobe Buffkin had one of the better games I've seen a team, a, a point guard play against Ohio State. He had like 10, 5, and 5 at the half. He was knocking down shots. He was making the right pass. And then you run into, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, if they're hitting shots, then you adjust. Well, Ohio State did adjust. They started putting guys on the perimeter and guarding the three. So then they just threw it back down to Hunter. And they even, you know, Akpar is 6'11". It doesn't matter. If, if Your height doesn't matter if you're playing against a guy that's just smarter and more experienced than you. That's not a knock to Akpar. He's a freshman. He'll get there. He needs to add a little bit of weight for sure. But he'll get there in his mind. But, you know, Huck Dickinson, every single possession was just getting to a spot and putting the ball. Like, he's just doing what he knows how to do. So it's, it's you know, like, like you said, it's a pick your poison. Do you continue to help on him and collapse down when he catches the ball and pray that maybe the stats, that maybe a course corrects itself and they start missing those shots? Or, you know, do you start sending guys out to the perimeter and then leave Akpar and Key on island with Dickinson to where, like I said, like Hunter Dickinson's don't grow on trees. He's an All-American for a reason. He's a very good player. So, yeah, and I mean, you saw that. you saw how different their offense got with Terrace Reed in. It just it, it it just stopped. It just stopped moving with Terrace Reed in the game at points. And it's not even that Ohio State struggle. Like it's not even that Ohio State struggles to limit threes because if you look at the stats, I think they lead the conference in opponent three point percentage. Okay, see, I didn't know. Actually, I might have known that. I looked at I, I, I saw it in the preview. They their teams shoot thirty two percent against Ohio State. That's the best in the Big Ten. In the Big Ten, see, like a week and a half ago, I checked and it was at like thirty point two percent, which was like 
34th in the country and it was like 15th out of power five teams so you try to figure out how does this happen how does doug mcdaniel and kobe buffkin start hitting threes the the first response that you'd expect is well this team just is not guarding the perimeter very well they just don't they don't defend people shooting threes that's false like ohio state has limited their opponents from hitting threes better than anybody pretty much in the conference so it's just bad shooters for michigan typically bad shooters at this stage of their career we're just knocking down open threes that for the most part, when you drop your game plan, you're saying, this is the shot we want them to take. This is the shot we want this possession to end in. And if a 29% three-point shooter starts knocking them down, what do you do? We'll have to, we're going to have to correct course and, and try something else. But until that happens, this is what we're doing. So they start the first half with both of those guys knocking down threes. Then you have to figure something else out. Yep. And like I said, I didn't think they played particularly like bad a couple untimely turnovers here or there, but they really – I mean, the fun, it was funny. That rebound to Michigan, they won the turnover battle against Michigan. You know, like a lot of the things that people tend to criticize this team for, they did well. I think I think people would be surprised to know they won the rebounding battle, but they, they did. Had, they 36, hit their free throws at a better rate they, than Michigan yeah, they, did. Yeah they, made, yeah, they hit their free throws at a better rate. I don't think they got there as many times, but they hit it at a better rate. Um, and like I said, they won. They only, they only turned the ball over six times. They just assuming had no turnovers, you know, like they they played a, a okay game. It's just you ran into hundred hundred Dickens in at a bad time, and Michigan hit some timely shots that they normally don't hit, and maybe that's where the unlucky factor comes in on Kenbaum. I have no idea, but it was it was a weird game because I felt the whole time I'm watching, I'm like, I feel like Ohio State could probably be winning this game, but they're down nine. I don't really know what's going on. It's really weird. They did a lot of the things yeah. they normally don't do well. Well, so I don't know. There wasn't like. You watch the Wisconsin game and they have like four straight turnovers where they can't rebound. And you're well, I mean, they out-rebounded Wisconsin by 20, but Wisconsin's incredibly small. So that's not really a huge surprise. But yeah, I don't know. It was weird to see them out-rebound a team, only turn the ball over six times, and lose. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think they played too poorly, and there was never a point in this game where Michigan felt comfortable. There was never a point in that game where it was like, okay, like we have a 18 point lead. We can go ahead and kind of take our foot off the gas and coast here. The lead was constantly fluctuating somewhere between like four and seven points where, you know, Juwan Howard knows and Michigan knows if Ohio state gets a bucket, they force turnover and they get another bucket. Like this game could be tied. It's 10 seconds away from being tied at any point. And Ohio state just, as has been the story for a lot of the season, they can't get the stop, right? When you cut the lead yeah. to three points and Ohio State, you know, I, I'd have to check and see if they ever cut it to three. I believe they did cut it to three at some point. Um, when you cut it to three and you call a timeout and say, okay, it's a one possession game. All the marbles in right now. We have to get a stop here. This is our move. Boom. Michigan gets a bucket. Like they can't sometimes they just cannot get a stop. Even in the most crucial time goes back to six points and there you go. Um, but I mean, it was, it was close, but Michigan is not a good team question mark. Like I think they're seven and five in the big 10 now, um, which is much better than Ohio state, but you know, they've, we've talked about them. We spent a lot of time talking about them on the last episode. They've lost to some bad teams. They have had some scares from other Mac teams that are not even good in the Mac this year. And Michigan does have some games coming up against tough teams on the road that I, I think that they're probably going to pick up a few losses here. 
And since they're since those early season losses, like at seven and five right now, Michigan is not showing up at any bracket prediction online. Like Michigan is not going to get into the to the NCAA tournament with a ten and ten tournament record with the ten and ten Big Ten record like Ohio State might be able to. They're probably going to have to go eleven and nine or like twelve and eight to get in. Yeah, to answer your earlier point, with fourteen minutes left, Sensabaugh hit a three that made it fifty to forty seven, but then Dickinson hit a jumper. Uh, Sensabaugh missed. Dickinson got another layup, and then Sensabaugh actually had a turnover, and then Joey Baker made a lay. Joey Baker made a layup, and then Sensabaugh missed a layup. So that was where I think Bryce was kind of forcing it a little bit too much, and um, they went up by nine, and it never really got much closer than five from there. So. Yeah, but like you said, Michigan doesn't have – they don't have – They, I mean, they lost to Central Michigan. That's a horrible, horrible loss. They're not even one of the good MAC teams. They're bad in the MAC. Um, Kent State was favored by 18 over them. I think they actually ended up losing that game. But, no, they lost to Northern Illinois. But, anyway. Um, but, yeah, so they, they don't have – like the, that's why you play those games that you do in non-conference. You get that benefit of the doubt. Michigan didn't really get that, so – I think that this this win was huge for them. Honestly, they just they picked up their first and second quad one wins on the same night because they beat Northwestern at Northwestern, which was a quad one win, and then Maryland actually won and jumped into a quad one team. So they picked up like two quad one wins in one night, but that was their first two, and they came in February. So that's not mm-hmm. a great omen for the like Michigan's thirteen and ten, Ohio State's one uh, eleven and twelve, and I'd say they're probably. Michigan's probably a little bit ahead of them now because they just beat them. But going into that game, they were in the same spot out of the tournament. <laughs> yeah. Well, then they have they have Northwestern. Ohio State has Northwestern coming up uh, this week. Thursday night's Northwestern. Um, a game Ohio State will probably be the betting favorite to win because just because they're at home and Northwestern sliding a little bit, and then they'll get Michigan State on Sunday at home. Again, both games you should win at home, but as we've seen, just because it's a game they should win does not mean that Ohio State has shown the capability of winning those winnable games. But, you know, they've already beat Northwestern by, I forget how many points, a lot. Like, they have plenty of film to watch. 63 to 47, I would say. Plenty of film to watch to say, how did we do this last time? Um and then Michigan State is Michigan State is a good team, uh, but they're not they're not a great team. They'll probably end up either eleven and what are they right now? They're six and six. They'll probably end up like eleven and nine or ten and ten in the Big Ten. They'll get into the tournament as a eight or nine seed again. They're coming off a really tough loss. They had Rutgers kind of beat at Madison Square Garden on Saturday, and they just kind of, for lack of a better word, they just kind of blew it. Um, so that was. They're they're kind of in a in a weird spot too, where like they they kind of need a win, especially on the road would be nice. So, yeah, at the top, I mean, I can I don't describe have probably lot. nine Big Ten teams at this rate. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot else to say other than I mean, you can look at the standings. Purdue's eleven and two. Rutgers at eight and four is, um, I'd, I'd say Rutgers the only team that maybe has a chance to win the Big Ten other than Purdue is Rutgers, and that is if Purdue loses two more games because Rutgers has already beat Purdue once. But I don't know who Rutgers has coming up. They don't have Purdue again, but Rutgers is two games back at Purdue, and they have uh, at Indiana on Tuesday night, which by the time this comes out is done, at Illinois, which will be probably a loss, home against Nebraska, which should be a win, at Wisconsin, which I honestly think that Rutgers should win that too, 
home against Michigan should be a win. Rutgers has a, a pretty nice schedule down the stretcher that they could pull to, pull together a few wins to maybe give Purdue a run, and they have the tiebreaker over Purdue. They did just lose Maywat Mag for the season on a torn ACL, which hurts. But key, yeah, key rotation piece, and then Purdue has um, at home against Iowa on Thursday night at Northwestern, at Maryland, home against Ohio State, home against Indiana, at Wisconsin, and home against Illinois. So I'd say Purdue has objectively has the more difficult schedule than Rutgers. And if they end up in a tie, Rutgers wins. Or I guess technically the Big Ten would do a shared title, wouldn't they? Yeah, I believe so. I forget how the tie breakers work, but they're one-on-one against each other. So so they would probably do – They, I think if they finish with the same record, I believe they would do a shared title. But – Rutgers at least has a chance to uh, maybe get a share of the Big Ten title. And then after that, it's like six teams have five losses. But I don't think that anybody's – I don't think Purdue's losing three more games to even make that matter. It's going to be Purdue or it's going to be Rutgers. Yeah, I would agree. Um, just back to Northwestern Michigan State this week, it'll be interesting to kind of see how the rotations shift out because you're probably playing the two best backcourts in the country – in the country, Jesus – in the conference – um, with Northwestern and Michigan State. Um, I selectively only played 12 minutes against Michigan. Uh, I don't know if that was just more of a game thing because he played like 25 against Wisconsin or if that's like maybe his minutes are starting to go elsewhere. I don't know. But you do figure um, he struggles on the offensive end sometimes, but he is still probably your best defender, at least on the ball. So him ensuing. So it'll be interesting to see if – those minutes tick up because you're playing Boo Booey, Chase Aldige, and you're playing Tyson Walker, AJ Hogarth, and Jay Nakins, Jay Nakins, or you know if maybe his minutes are starting to shift to Riley Gale, or you know maybe Eugene Brown again. I don't, I don't know. I'm curious to see how many minutes they get out of Likely, especially because they might need him on the defensive end. Because like I said, I think those are the two best backcourts in the conference. Well, I can tell you that Gene Brown is back in. Um, that is like a definitive. That's a definitive thing that Gene Brown, I think he played like 14 minutes in the game against Michigan, which might've been his most minutes he's played all season. But um, they did say Holtman did say earlier this week that like, we're going to start playing Gene more. Basically he said, Gene plays really hard and we need people right now that are going to play really hard all the time. And also um, they like that Gene can rebound at both ends. And if need be, throw a body on a big man from here from from time to time so yeah I've been, I like I've, what, I've been a proponent of gene brown for a while i've been I'm i've too. always been get gene brown some more minutes jay wright said it i know uh, you probably weren't able to listen jay wright by the way was absolutely phenomenal on the broadcast i haven't listened to him too much but uh he's been great but he mentioned it with gene brown and he talked about playing him last year because gene brown started in that tournament game against nova uh, he mentioned he was like, you know, Gene Brown is one of the few guys on this Ohio State team that is always moving off the ball. He's always trying to back cut. He's always trying to slip somewhere. He's and it was a good example of that was like the play where he stepped out of bounds, but you know, that's you know, he stepped out of bounds, whatever. But that was a good back cut. He would have had a wide open dunk, you know. He he he's always back cutting somebody, he's always slipping through, setting a screen and trying to roll something, uh, which is very beneficial in this offense that tends to go stagnant and ISO a lot. If you always have somebody moving off the ball, I think that's a big issue with this team. Guys just aren't moving off the ball well enough. I think Sean McNeil doesn't do it that well. He needs to do it better. Um, I, I like the way Eugene Brown does that. I think that's a benefit. And like you said, he's a good defender. He can guard probably three, four 
arguably five, but probably three or four positions. And, you know, he's a good, he's a decent rebounder. So I do want to see him play more. Yeah. And he will. I've just, it just seems like since he's been at Ohio state, he's always been an energy guy, a guy that's going to play hard, whether his team's up by 10 or down by 10, um, whether his team is first place in the big 10 or currently 13th in the big 10, uh, the energy and the effort never wavers from Gene Brown. And it does seem like it's taken a bit longer than maybe we would have liked to see from Chris Holtman, but it seems like maybe Chris Holtman is getting to the point now where he's saying, if you're going to play hard and you're going to bust it at both ends, you're, you know what, you're, you're going to play. That If you're, Gene Brown averages like 1.8 points per game right now, he's like, listen, Gene's playing hard. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give Gene more minutes. Same with Roddy Gale. Roddy Gale had a stretch at the beginning of Big Ten play where he was really kind of waning. The minutes were not there. He was playing like four or five minutes a game. Now Roddy is like one of the first two guys off the bench. Sometimes he's the first guy off the bench. He's playing like 15 to 20 minutes almost every game now. Same thing. High energy guy, high effort guy. If, if you're going to give that at this point of the season with this record, you're going to see the floor. And that's kind of where yeah. we're at. Well, and Eugene Brown, he doesn't – obviously, like you say, he doesn't average many points, so it's not a high – sample size but he's shooting 58% from the field and 38% from 30. So there's something there. You know, he's not like shooting horribly. And Ronnie Gale, the only thing that needs to come together is his shot. He gets to the rim, he is a strong defender, very strong defender for a freshman. He is a high energy pedal to the floor 100% all the time kind of guy that just completely runs down defenses. He just needs to be a little more finesse at the rim and his shot it just his shot needs to come together. Which it will. He's it a kind freshman. Of like, he's going through that. It, it, That's those are things you can work. Like you can't work through effort. You can work through that. It kind of seems like sometimes Roddy is surprised at himself that he got to the rim so easily. A hundred percent. Like there are times when he'll like. He's, he's like, got oh, a really shit, nice. He's got a really nice jump stop that he uses a lot to get to the basket clean. Um, he surprises me, and it looks like he surprises himself sometimes that he slashes through double teams and slashes through the defense to get to the basket so clean and then just misses it at the basket almost like he's surprised like oh shit plankton from spongebob i didn't think i'd get this far and now he's just there and then he he misses the layup because he's like i didn't think it would be this easy um just because the game's moving the game's moving a little fast for him but he's got the moves he's got the moves to get there where he doesn't have to settle for jumpers yeah, I mean, like a, a sophomore, he dealt with injuries his junior and senior year, but a sophomore year, he averaged 30 a game in high school. You know, he he he, he has it. Um, and I'm comfortable. I've said this probably every podcast this year. I think he will be a big t- all Big Ten kind of player in two or three years. I truly believe that. Um, so, um, and Chris Holman even said it about him recently. He was like, I think he's going to take that sophomore jump that surprises people, you know. So I'm excited to see what he can do. I think you got to keep playing because, like I said, it's not an effort thing with those guys, right? Their effort is there. They're just got to work through their shot or, you know, their their offense, you know, their finesse at the rim, like you said, with Roddy Gale. So those are things you can actually work through. You can't work through effort, right? That's just given. And that's what um, Roddy Gale and Eugene Brown have levels of. So it's very nice to yeah, see. Yeah, he said that a week ago, a week and a half ago. Um Somebody asked him about Roddy Gale, and I think it was on when he's on the radio, and he said, we know Roddy's going to be a really, really good player for us. I think next year people are going to be saying, you know, where did this kid come from? You know, we think the switch is really going to turn on for him as a sophomore. And somebody, I think the follow-up question from Ron Stokes or, or Paul Keels was like, what, like, where is the 
what makes you think that he can make that kind of jump? And he basically said, you know, we've already done this with some of our most talented freshmen, like EJ Liddell scored six and a half points per game as a freshman or something. I forget the exact number. Second, as a sophomore, an all Big Ten caliber player. Um, he just said, sometimes you just have to be patient. You got to kind of work your way into games where you can as a freshman. But he said that, he, you know, we, we've already seen it before with other guys that have made that freshman to sophomore jump. Um, even if they came off the bench as a freshman. Yeah. And he was the, before Bryce really took off, you know, at the end of his senior season and before Bruce Thornton won Gatorade player of the year in Georgia, Friday Gale was kind of the jewel of the class at one point. So there's a lot of potential there. And I think you, it, it's, it's impossible not to see it. You know, it, it's, it, it's tough to watch at times. Cause like I said, his, his shot's not there. He struggles to knock down jumpers. He misses a lot of layups, but, it's just because he's moving so fast in the game. It's like it's like either he's moving too fast for himself or the game's moving too fast for him. And he, he just has to find that good mix. And that you find that through playing. So I, I think he'll be just fine. I'm excited to see. It's same, same with our par. I think our par is going to – he's going to take some bumps and bruises this year. It's tough being a freshman big in this conference with Zach Eady, Trey Jackson Davis, Hunter Dickinson. I mean, that uh, hit, he went through a three-game stretch just now of Trace Jackson Davis, Tyler Wall, Stephen Crow, and then Hunter Dickinson. That is brutal, man. So you learn by going through that. And, I mean, we've seen it. He looked he looked pretty good on Zach Eady. You know, like, we've seen it. We, these, we just have to get some – Bruce Thornton's a great example of consistency, right? He's been struggling. He just popped out his best game this season in, in, in the biggest of moments, right? Didn't shy away from it stepped up to the plate and knocked out of the park. So I'm super excited for these guys moving forward. I don't know about Bryce because I don't know if he'll be here, but obviously if he's here next year, I'm very excited for what he can bring. Uh, you got anything else before we get out of here? I think that's really all I got for for what I've seen over the past week. Beat Northwestern, please. God. If you found us on the Land Grant Hoyland website, make sure to also subscribe on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you find your music and podcasts. Uh, you can find us under the Land Grant Hoyland feed. And that way, every week when we put out new episodes, you can get a notification. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at BucketheadsLGHL. You can follow me at Justin underscore Golba. Connor, where are you? And you can follow me at Lamons underscore Connor. That's L-E-M-O-N-S underscore Connor, C-O-N-N-O-R. Uh, if you made it this far, we appreciate you for, for listening. Hope everybody has a great weekend. And go Bucks. <laughs>